Hi there, this is Matt. And we are moving on to chapter 11. George. That's right. Oh, so yeah. This is our bedtime tonight. <laughs> That's right. Chapter 11, The Old Lady's Bedroom. Nothing more happened worth telling for some time. The autumn came and went by. There were no more flowers in the garden. The wind blew strong and howled among the rocks. The rain fell and drenched the few yellow and red leaves that could not get off the bare branches. Again and again there would be a glorious morning followed by a pouring afternoon, and sometimes, for a week together, there would be rain, nothing but rain, all day. And then the most lovely cloudless night, with the sky all out in full-blown stars, not one missing. But the princess could not see much of them, for she went to bed early. The winter drew on, and she found things growing dreary. When it was too stormy to go out, and she had got tired of her toys, Ludie would take her about the house, sometimes to the housekeeper's room, where the housekeeper, who was a good, kind old woman, made much of her sometimes to the servants' hall or the kitchen, where she was not princess merely, but absolute queen, and ran a great risk of being spoiled. Sometimes she would run off herself to the room where the men-at-arms whom the king had left sat, and they showed her their arms in accoutrements, and did what they could to amuse her. Still at times she found it very dreary, and often and often wished that her huge great-grandmother had not been a dream. One morning, the nurse left her with the housekeeper for a while. To amuse her, she turned out the contents of an old cabinet upon the table. The little princess found her treasures, queer ancient ornaments, and many things to the use of which she could not imagine, far more interesting than her own toys, and sat playing with them for two hours or more. But at length, in handling a curious old-fashioned brooch, she ran the pin of it into her thumb, and gave a little scream at the sharpness of the pain, but would have thought little more of it had not the pain increased and her thumb began to swell. This alarmed the housekeeper greatly. The nurse was fetched, the doctor was sent for. Her hand was poulticed, and long before her usual time she was put up to bed. The pain still continued, and although she fell asleep and dreamed a good many dreams, there was the pain always in every dream. At last it woke her up. The moon was shining brightly into the room. The poultice had fallen off her hand and was burning hot. She fancied if she could hold on to the moonlight, that would cool it. So she got out of bed without waking the nurse, who lay at the other end of the room, and went to the window. When she looked out, she saw one of the men-at-arms walking in the garden with the moonlight glancing on his armor. She was just going to tap on the window and call him, for she wanted to tell him all about it, when she bethought herself that she might wake Ludie, and she would put her into her bed again. So she resolved to go to the window of another room and call him from there. It was so much nicer to have somebody to talk to than to lie awake in bed with the burning pain in her hand. She opened the door very gently and went through the nursery, which did not look into the garden, to go to the other window. But when she came to the foot of the old staircase, there was the moon shining down from some window high up and making the worm-eaten oak look very strange and delicate and lovely. In a moment, she was putting her little feet one after the other in the silvery path up the stair looking behind as she went to see the shadow they made in the middle of the silver. Some little girls would have been afraid to find themselves thus alone in the middle of the night, 
but Irene was a princess. As she went slowly up the stair, not quite sure that she was not dreaming, suddenly a great longing woke up in her heart to once more try whether she could not find the old lady with the silvery hair. If she is a dream, she said to herself, then I am the likelier to find her if I am dreaming. So up and up she went, stair after stair, until she came to the many rooms, all just as she had seen them before. Through passage after passage she softly sped, comforting herself that if she should lose her way it would not matter much, because when she woke she would find herself in her own bed with Ludy not far off. But as if she had known every step of the way, she walked straight to the door at the foot of the narrow stair that led to the tower. What if I should real reality really find my beautiful old grandmother up there she said to herself as she crept up the steep steps when she reached the top she stood a moment listening in the dark for there was no moon there yes it was it was the hum of the spinning wheel what a diligent grandmother to work both night and day she tapped gently at the door come in irene said a sweet voice the princess opened the door and entered there was the moonlight streaming in at the window and in the middle of the moonlight sat the old lady in her black dress with the white lace and her silvery hair mingling with the moonlight so that you could not have told which was which come in irene she said again can you tell me what i am spinning she speaks thought irene just as if she had seen me five minutes ago or yesterday at the farthest no she answered i don't know what you are spinning please i thought you were a dream why couldn't i find you before great-great-grandmother that you are hardly old enough to understand but you would have found me sooner if you hadn't come to think i was a dream i will give you one reason though why you couldn't find me i didn't want you to find me why please because i did not want ludy to know i was here but you told me to tell ludy <laughs> yes but i knew ludy would not believe you if she were to see me sitting spinning here she wouldn't believe me either why because she couldn't she would rub her eyes and go away she, she would go away and say she felt queer and forget half of it and more and then say it, it had all been a dream just like me said irene feeling very much ashamed of herself yes a great deal like you but not just like you for you've come again and ludy wouldn't have come again she would have said no no she had had enough of such nonsense is it naughty of ludy then it would be naughty of you. I've never done anything for Ludy. And you did wash my face and hands for me, said Irene, beginning to cry. The old lady smiled a sweet smile and said, I'm not vexed with you, my child, nor with Ludy either, but I don't want you to say anything more to Ludy about me. If she should ask you, you must just be silent. But I did not think she will ask you. All the time they talked, the old lady kept on spinning. You haven't told me yet what I am spinning, she said, because I don't know. It's very pretty stuff. It was indeed very pretty stuff. There was a good bunch of it on the distaff attached to the spinning wheel, and in the moonlight it shone like, what shall I say it shone like? It was not white enough for silver. Yes, it was like silver, but shone gray rather than white and glittered only a little and the thread the old lady drew out from it was so fine that Irene could hardly see it. I am spinning this for you, my child. For me? What am I to do with it, please? I will tell you by and by. But first I will tell you what it is. 
It is spider web of a particular kind. My pigeons bring it to me from over the great sea. There is only one forest where the spiders live who make this particular kind, the finest and strongest of any. I have nearly finished my present job. What is on the rock now will be enough. I have a week's work there yet, though, she added, looking at the bunch. Do you work all day and all night, too, great-great-great-great-grandmother, said the princess, thinking to be very polite with so many greats. I am not quite so great as all that, she answered, smiling almost merrily. If you call me grandmother, that will do. No, I don't work every night. Only moonlit nights, and then no longer than the moon shines upon my wheel. I shan't work much longer tonight. And what will you do next, grandmother? Go to bed. Would you like to see my bedroom? Yes, that I should. Then I think I won't work any longer tonight. I shall be in good time. The old lady rose and left her wheel standing just as it was. You see, there was no good in putting it away, for where there was not any furniture, there was no danger of being untidy. Then she took Irene by the hand, but it was her bad hand, and Irene gave a little cry of pain. My child, said her grandmother, what is the matter? Irene held her hand into the moonlight, that the old lady might see it, and told her all about it, at which she looked grave, but she only said, Give me your other hand, and having led her out upon the little dark landing, opened the door of the, on the opposite side of it. What was Irene's surprise to see the loveliest room she had ever seen in her life? It was large and lofty and dome-shaped. From the center hung a lamp round as a ball, shining as if with the brightest moonlight, which made everything visible in the room, though not so clearly that the princess could tell what many of the things were. A large oval bed stood in the middle, with a coverlid of rose color and velvet curtains all around it of a lovely pale blue. The walls were also blue, spangled all over with what looked like stars of silver. The old lady left her and, going to a strange-looking cabinet, opened it and took out a curious silver casket. Then she sat down on a low chair and, calling Irene, made her kneel before her while she looked at her hand. Having examined it, she opened the casket and took from it a little ointment. The sweetest odor filled the room, like that of roses and lilies, as she rubbed the ointment gently all over the hot, swollen hand. Her touch was so pleasant and cool that it seemed to drive away the pain and heat wherever it came. Oh, Grandmother, it is so nice, said Irene. Thank you, thank you. Then the old lady went to the chest of drawers and took out a large handkerchief of gossamer-like cambric, which she tied round her hand. I don't think I can let you go away tonight, she said. Would you like to sleep with me? Oh, yes, yes, dear grandmother, said Irene, and would have clapped her hands, forgetting that she could not. You won't be afraid, then, to go to bed with such an old woman? No, you are so beautiful, grandmother. But I am very old. And I suppose I am very young. You won't mind sleeping with such a very young woman, grandmother. <laughs> you sweet little princess, said the old lady and drew her towards her and kissed her on the forehead and the cheek and the mouth. Then she got a large silver basin, and having poured some water into it, made Irene sit on the chair and washed her feet. This done, she was ready for bed, and oh, what a delicious bed it was into which her grandmother laid her. She hardly could have told she was lying upon anything. She felt nothing but the softness. The old lady, having undressed herself, lay down beside her. Why don't you put out your moon? asked the princess. 
That never goes out, night or day, she answered. In the darkest night, if any of my pigeons are out on a message, they always see my moon and know where to fly to. But if somebody besides the pigeons were to see it, somebody about the house, I mean, they would come to look what it was and find you. The better for them, then, said the old lady. But that does not happen above five times in a hundred years that any one does see it. The greater part of those who do take it for a meteor wink their eyes and forget it again. Besides, nobody could find the room except I pleased. Besides, again, I will tell you a secret, that if the light were to go out, you would fancy yourself lying on a bare garret, on a heap of old straw, and would not see one of the pleasant things around you about all you all the time. I hope it will never go out, said the princess. I hope not. But it is time we both went to sleep. Shall I take you in my arms? The little princess nestled close up to the old lady, who took her in both her arms and held her close to her bosom. Oh, dear, this is so nice, said the princess. I didn't know anything in the world could be so comfortable. I should like to lie here forever. You may if you will, said the old lady. But I must put you to one trial, not a very hard one, I hope. This night, week, you must come back to me. If you don't, I do not know when you may find me again. And you will soon want me very much. Oh, please don't let me forget. You shall not forget. The only question is whether you will believe I am anywhere. Whether you will believe I am anything but a dream. You may be sure... I will do all I can to help you come, but it will rest with yourself after all. On the night of next Friday, you must come to me, mine now. I will try, said the princess. Then good night, said the old lady, and kissed the forehead which lay in her bosom. In a moment more, the little princess was dreaming in the midst of the loveliest dreams, of summer seas and moonlight and mossy springs and great murmuring trees and beds of wild flowers with such odors as she had never smelled before. But after all, no dream could be more lovely than what she had left behind when she fell asleep. In the morning she found herself in her own bed. There was no handkerchief or anything else on her hand. Only a sweet odor lingered about it. The swelling had all gone down. The prick of the brooch had vanished. In fact, her hand was perfectly well. And that is the end of chapter 11 of George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin. The Princess and the Goblin. You ready to sleep now, hon? Yes. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Good night.